the hour of our death. Amen. So this coming week is the 50th anniversary of Humani Vitae. And some of you may be like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so you're going to find out. <laughs> um, it is, is the church's teaching. Again, 50 years ago, Pope Paul VI wrote this on the, the regulation of human birth. What does the church teach about the regulation of human birth? Now, this is, this, when this was written, and still today, it's probably one of the most uh, highly controversial and difficult teachings of the church for, for different reasons, for different folks. So today, I, we're just going to like scratch the surface a little bit. And I realize that this teaching is hard for a lot of people to understand maybe or to accept. And I just want to invite you, like, if you struggle with this teaching, to just ask the Lord for the grace to be open. Just for the grace to be open. Um, um, that the Lord may speak, and hopefully a little bit today, and you can dive into some more prayer, you can dive into some more research. Just to be open and say, understand, I just reject it categorically, because that's often what time happens, like, oh, there's something that I don't like about this teaching or that teaching or listen to scriptures or that. And we can just sometimes just reject it categorically, like, boom, I put a wall up, nope, not going to think about it. Just to invite us all today to begin to say, why does the church teach this? There's a reason why. Again, we're just going to scratch the surface today, but it's in great mercy. And, and, if, and if you or me or any of us and have struggled with this or any teaching of the church, the Lord loves us. The Lord loves us not based on our performance, on what we do, but on who He is. And so God meets us wherever we are, no matter what sin we've committed. God meets us wherever we are, loves us right there, pours His mercy upon us, and calls us to take the next steps in communion with Him. So, to kind of dive in a little bit, a lot of people know, um, most people know, I guess, that the church teaches an NFP is good and contraception is wrong. But most people don't understand why. Most people think the church is crazy. Like, get with the times. Come on. So, I want to start by just taking the, the 30,000 foot view of this. Like, why does the church teach this? Because it's rooted in who we are as men and women created in the image and likeness of God. Every teaching that the church has about the human person, about marriage, about sexuality, about the poor, about whatever it is, is rooted in this one fundamental teaching at the beginning of Scripture. When God created the human person, when he created us, male and female, he created them. And in his image, he created them. Us. Which is mind-blowing when you think about it. This is the perfect God. The perfect, perfect beauty, perfect love, perfect truth, perfect grace. Like, in his image, we're created. We're the crown of creation. And because we're created in God's image and likeness, it means that we have the ability to love. It's the most fundamental definition of who God is, is this ability to love. He is love. So we can do that. No other creature has this ability to love like God except us. It's amazing. But St. John Paul II says this. He says, while the individual person is created in God's image and likeness, it is the husband and wife and the family 
that are a more perfect image of God. More perfect than just the individual person. Why? Some of you have heard me mention this before, the little Cliff Notes version of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. God is not an eternal solitude, but an eternal communion of persons, an eternal family. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And from all eternity, the Father gives himself away to the Son. The Son receives the gift of the Father and gives himself in return. And that love is so profound that there is a third person that eternally proceeds from them both, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the love of the Father and the Son for all eternity. And so when God created the human person and he created man and woman, Everything about us as men and women are the same, biologically, except our sexual organs. Why? Like, if everything's the same except those things, probably a reason for it, right? And part of this complementarity of persons, of the male and female, is to, to fulfill on this earth the image of the Holy Trinity. You have the husband who gives himself away to his wife. The wife receives the gift of the husband and gives herself in return. And when that love is consummated through the sexual union, the love is so profound that nine months later, you gotta make room for it in your house. You gotta wake up at night and feed it. You give it a name. It's a third person. This image of the Holy Trinity at this, at this heart, this is the heart of the church's teaching about everything about marriage, about everything about sexuality, right there. And so, why no to contraception and yes to NFP? What's important for us to recognize that the church uh, both encourages and supports the, the um, responsible parenthood, the responsible regulation of birth, of spacing of birth in a responsible way in communion with the Lord. Like, she's not against that at all. Actually encourages that very much. But there's, so people will say, well, Father, you have NFP and you have contraception, and so what's the difference? Well, the difference is in the very nature of what's going on. Um, what you have the very basic and natural end of the, the, the consummate union of husband and wife, the marital embrace, has two natural ends that God created it for. One, the union of the couple. To bring the couple together in a deeper intimacy. And also the procreation of children. These two things are just the natural ends. You don't even need to be a Christian. You don't even need to believe in the Lord. You just need to know biology to understand this. That there's a unitive and appropriative means to this gift that God has given us. And so when we exercise it, it needs to be in that context of marriage. Why? Because it is this full giving of self as God has given himself to us. And those four pillars of the Lord's love for us Free, total, faithful, fruitful. It's a free gift. It's a total gift. It's a faithful. I will love you now and forever and forever. And it's the fruitfulness of it. 
And so if we take away any one of those things, if we take away the heart of that, then we're cutting away at why God created the sexual union. Um, so what is contraception? Contraception is a deliberate act in multiple different means of saying no and cutting away of the procreative, a deliberate taking away and rejection of the procreative means of the sexual union. And when you take away the procreative means, then you've cut away half, a very important half, by the way, of the very nature of what God created the sexual union for. And then you open up a door. If it's only about union, then what I can unite with my spouse. I can unite with people who are not my spouse. I can unite with people of the same sex. I mean, we just open this door and it continues to go. Multiple people, people not people, you know, I mean, just this door opens up and it becomes easily devolves into just being about my personal pleasure. But we all can recognize that like at the heart of it, we see that this procreative in the place that it belongs most prominently in the Lord's image is within the context of a family. And so what is um, NFP and how is it different from contraception? The NFP is using the gift of the woman's sexuality as God has created it. And then if it's a good time for us to, Lord, we're open to children and it's a beautiful time for us, then yes, let's engage in that act at any point. But if we have discerned, Lord, that right now, based off of serious considerations, that it's not a good time, then we understand the woman's sexuality. And there's a period, depending on the woman, five to eight days, where she is fertile, that's it, then we engage in abstinence. And you might say, well, Father, it's kind of like Russian roulette, right? Like, what's going on? I mean, come on. It's dangerous. Actually, there are many methods of NFP today that, based on solid science, that are 98 to 99% effective in the regulation of birth as or more effective than any contraceptive on the market. It's the best thing to do that, actually. The best thing. It's an amazing gift. Now, what's the difference? It requires a little more self-control. And so people will say, well, Father, I mean, if, if a husband and wife are going to engage in the, in, the, in the marital embrace and there's not going to be a child, then why? I mean, like, is there a difference, really? And at the heart of that is... Well, I ask you a question, then if there's not a difference, then why not NFP? Because there's a very fundamental understanding like, oh, well, that means my life's going to be a little bit different. And because of that, it shows us that there's a different nature to it. The difference is that the end doesn't justify the means. Think of any situation. So we've got a lot of students here at LSU. Most of them are gone for summer vacation. One student gets a 4.0, another student gets a 4.0. They both got 4.0s, Father. One person studied, one person cheated. The end of the 4.0 does not justify how you got there. So even though these two acts may seem get the same result, how you get to them is very, very important. So this rejection again of this deliberate rejection of the unitive means of sexuality. Now, until recent history, all Christian churches, all Christian denominations agreed with this teaching of the immorality of contraception. Well, in 1930, the first 
Christian denomination to say that a contraception was okay in some cases was the Anglican Church. And a lot of social pressures and different things happening. One by one, the different denominations followed suit until the 1960s, the only Christian church left saying that it's still immoral was the Catholic Church. So there were tons of pressure, like, come on, you Catholics are always the slowest. Like, just get on with the show, change the deal. So the Holy Father at the time, Pope Paul VI, said, okay, let's, let's take serious consideration and study this matter. So five years, five years of study, and the promoters of contraception were saying this, that contraception held the key to one, sexual liberation, two, harmony between men and women, and three, healthier and happier marriages. So sexual liberation, harmony between men and women, and happier and healthier marriages. Now, Pope Paul VI came out and said, no, the church, based off of the, the understanding of the person created in the image and likeness of God, and the end of the sexual act that God created for it, is going to uphold this teaching. So she's going to say no to contraception because she has said yes to God's gift and image of sexuality. The greater yes is calling us to say a no to this. Now, people went crazy, right? Like, man, what's going on? The Catholic Church, they're just idiots. You know, you're women haters, you're all these things. Um, and Pope Paul VI, in this document, and I invite you to read it, he gave four predictions which now seem very prophetic. He says, if we accept, manifoldly accept contraception, four things are going to happen. One, there's going to be a drastic rise in marital infidelity. Why? Because all of us are tempted to do things we shouldn't do, right? And one of the things that keeps us from not doing them is like, oh, there are consequences if I do something that I shouldn't do. So if you take away one of those consequences of infidelity, like, oh, I'm not going to do that because what if there's a child that involves in this, this situation here? And if I take that away, it's much easier for me to give in to that temptation. And then if you increase marital infidelity, then boom, what happens to the divorce rate, right? Begins to, to skyrocket. And so this is interesting. In 1960 and up to 1960, the divorce rate in the U.S. was slowly creeping up, but kind of hovering around 25%. Well, from 1960 to 1970, that's 10 years, it went from 25% to 50%. That's a 100% increase in 10 years. So sociologists are like, what's going on? Like, what is causing this? And of course, there are multiple factors. But Dr. Robert Michael from the University of Chicago says that as this time was happening, and he, and he has this chart, as contraceptives are becoming more and more available and used, the rate of divorce increased almost at the same exact rate. So between 1960 and 1970, that availability and use was just common. And so there's skyrocketing that's there. Um, the second thing that Pope Paul VI said would happen would be a general lowering of moral standards throughout society. Why a general lowering of moral standards? Because when I don't need to exercise discipline in one area of my life, then I lose discipline in other areas of my life. When I don't have to have self-control in one area, then it bleeds into others. And so this, this happening, and so we can just look at 
the, the crime rates, the violence, the incarceration, all these different things. And I know this is, again, another sensitive issue, but one of the biggest is not long after this, our country has accepted abortion as legal. Now, again, if anyone has experienced this, the Lord's mercy is infinite. The Lord's mercy is infinite. And we need to understand, too, as a church, that when people end up in a crisis pregnancy situation, we need to love them. We don't need to lecture them. We don't need to point a finger at them. We need to love them, hold their hand, walk with them through this. But we do have to recognize the reality of this. St. John Paul II said that while contraception and abortion both differ in nature and gravity, we can easily see that they differ in nature and gravity, they are fruit of the same tree. Why? It's because once you decide to enter into intercourse and you've said, I don't want anything to do with children, then what happens when a baby comes along? Fear, right? And many people end up in that situation like, oh my gosh, I never wanted this to happen. What do I do? And they're so caught up in this that they feel like the only answer then is to, to have an abortion. And so, which, so what's interesting is that people say more contraception, less abortion. There's studies that show that 50% of women who have an abortion have used contraception in the same month. 50%, half of them. Why? Because they chose, I don't want a baby, but I'm going to engage in the sexual act. Now I have one. I don't know what else to do. And they oftentimes don't want to have it but they have it because they feel paralyzed. Now, what's interesting is that we might say, well, Father, that's just the church making that connection. But in 1993, there was a Supreme Court case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which was trying to um, revoke Roe v. Wade. And so they upheld Roe v. Wade, and one of the clinching arguments was this connection that abortion needed to be available if contraception failed. And I quote from the Supreme Court case. For two decades of economic and social developments, people have organized intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. This is a sobering thing for us to take in and to understand with great mercy, with great compassion, but also looking at the truth. One of the other things that Paul VI said is that there will be a lessening of respect for women by men. Just the increase in sexual abuse, the increase of treating others as objects, the increase of the, the culture of explicit derogatory images. We know that reality. What's interesting as well, Mahatma Gandhi, the great Hindu leader of peace, he said this when this whole debate was happening. A Hindu. Contraceptive methods are like putting a premium on vice. They make men and women reckless, as it is man has su sufficiently degraded woman for his lust, and contraception, no matter how well-meaning the advocates may be, will still further degrade her. The wisdom that is present. Also, the fourth prediction was that governments would use reproductive technologies to coerce people and to force them. We only need to look at the recent history of China to know that the serious reality of that, the one-child policy, 
enforced strictly. And now they're backing up from that because they realize they're, they're paying a price, their country, for it. So, um, again, we're just scratching the surface here. And I know this, and I, I never wake up in the morning thinking, I really want to talk about this at church. Uh, <laughs> And to all our visitors today, like, we don't normally talk about this here, so sorry you showed up today, right? Um, but it's really, really important topic. Really important topic. Even medically. In 2005, the World Health Organization classified oral contraceptives as a class one carcinogen. Class one meaning it can cause cancer. At the, at, and it's class one is the highest class. Many women don't know that. And what happens is very well-meaning women, very well-meaning doctors prescribe these things. And it's actually meant to change the healthy functioning of a woman's body. Most medication we take wants the body that's not functioning well to make it function well. This is a medication to take a well-functioning body and make it not do that. There's going to be effects to that. There's going to be effects. So I want to just encourage you to dive more deeply into this. I want to encourage you to understand the church's teaching on NFP. Um, Again, highly scientific. So many couples that I know that have made the transition, they, they, they actually all tell me this. Like when their hearts are convicted about this, they tell me two things. Father... Uh, NFP is harder. Yeah, uh, it's harder. Why? Because it requires self-control where we didn't have to before. But Father, our marriage is never better because of the respect and the trust and the emotional intimacy that we have that we didn't have before. And so our sexual lives are actually better now than they were before because of the trust and the honor and the love and respect that comes from the periods of abstinence. Across the board, Father's really, really, really hard. Father makes our marriages better. Um, yeah, I've talked too long. I could say a million more things. Please just want to invite you to this. I also want to say one last thing. There was a study done in the 80s of couples who practice NFP. And it was a small study, but still in a sense... The divorce rate for couples who faithfully practice NFP, less than 5%, compared to 50. Whoa. You pay attention to these things. The, the, the beauty and the grace that is present. So if this has been hard to hear, if this teaching has been hard for you uh, throughout your life, please know that the church teaches it rooted in the image of the human person out of great love and out of great respect and understands that this is hard and this difficult. So I invite you to come and to to ask someone to walk with you through this process and not just reject it categorically. If you want to come have an argument, let's have an argument about it. Um, We want to talk and love and grace and mercy and ask the Lord to open our hearts. But more and more as we embrace this truth, the Lord is going to draw us together as as families and, and change the world because we're living as God has desired. And so let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with your grace and mercy. Help us to receive this teaching with truth, despite its challenges. We ask this through Christ our Lord.